All right, we're live. Okay, well, welcome everyone. Uh, welcome to the third episode of the uh, Eagles Abroad podcast. Uh, we're doing this one uh, a bit remotely today, uh, as we're in self quarantine before we travel for the holidays. Now, Lucas, how you doing? I'm I'm doing well. This is a little bit strange. I feel like I've re- like reverted in time about six to eight months to uh to, f- to fully remote right. communication. Yeah, we've said it before. We probably should have started this idea maybe six months ago. Uh, so not staying directly with the times, but you know. Hey. We're making <laughs> up for lost time. We didn't have the prior time. experience, so you gotta fit it in. Yeah, exactly. Possible. Exactly. So, you know, we're, we're kind of retro. We're, we're retroactively uh, uh, doing it the pandemic way. But hey, we're still in a pandemic, although we do have vaccine, vaccines coming out now. Looks like uh, the Pfizer one was just approved in the U.S. So uh, things are looking up and up. Pfizer one approved in the U.S. as well as, was that the same one that was approved in the U.K. and Canada? Yeah, it was approved in the UK first, I believe. And then uh, I think Canada shortly after. Um, It was funny because, you know, Christine was saying, uh, you know, uh, there was commentary coming from the US saying, okay, well, the UK, you know, maybe they jumped the gun a bit too early where Christine was kind of breaking my balls for that. It'd be like, who are these fucking people in the US telling the UK what to do, you know? uh look how they're handling the pandemic situation over there but yeah who are you who are you to judge so fauci you know stones and glass houses right but (laughs) Uh, no it's interesting though because those aren't the only places those are the only places that we've been talking about for the news you know this this week but pretty sure russia has authorized a vaccine for for several weeks now how's that one yeah i mean we don't we don't hear too much uh coming from russia but i guess you're right russia had one and i saw one today there's uh some other countries that are approving uh china vaccine uh those gonna be my other questions china what are they what are they doing they have a vaccine candidates or or what are they waiting for the U.S. to develop something and then pull in the technology and try to copy it and then, you know, produce it for less? I don't know. It's an interesting situation, right? Like, we haven't heard anything out of China uh, for a long time now. It's kind of, look, if, if we look back in retrospect, you know, we should have just welded people shut inside their houses. And then this whole thing would have been <laughs> over. We would have been having sports going on right now. Uh, would have been NBA season, NHL. Yeah. But Uh, yeah, it's true. We are now in the second week of, of December, the sports calendar in general has been so jumbled that I just don't know what's happening anymore. The the only one I know, like the NBA, I started to see like preseason is going on right now. Um, I mean, I only know that because I saw on Reddit, there was just some, uh, post about Giannis pulling up for a three and airballing it. So I was like, okay, I guess basketball is back now. Uh, hockey, which you know that I, I, I played and I love, I know they start around mid Jan now, and then they've broken up their league into uh, they kind of re redefine the division. So they're going to have a all Canada division. Uh, because the teams in Canada can travel a bit more freely yeah, and but- don't have to go into the U.S. So I'm excited for that, an old Canada vision. And then, <laughs> of course, you know, they lumped the Rangers in to a division with most of the, the teams that they already play with, but then they added uh, Boston as well as Buffalo, which is, means just, they're just going to have a murder division. Like, they're no playoffs. The, yeah. uh, no playoffs in 2021. I think for the for the blue shirts. No. <laughs> Are they uh, continuing then for like the playoff setup? Is it back to normal? Because with the vaccine authorization and then you know the rollouts coming, I believe the hope is for kind of a more or less return to normalcy by the end of 2021. So for sports leagues to kind of get back on track, are they kind of planning to wrap up Sir Stanley's Cup 
in you know April time period as as normal, or is it everything still kind of pushed back? Oh, I know, I know, it is a condensed season. They're only doing about like fifty six games or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I I would think the goal would be to kind of have like maybe a more normal time frame for the actual playoffs. And yeah. I think the NBA is probably going to try to to do that as well. Um, yeah. So what about college football? Because college football to me is just completely I, – I can't decipher it at all. What the hell is going on? Is there a playoffs? College, college football is insane in that the playoffs are still going on. I'm pretty sure – or they're still like playing because they're coming out with the, the ratings and everything. And we're having the typical yearly controversy of, you know, the playoff system is only set up to celebrate the largest programs and power five conferences. Cause you have the university of Cincinnati um, go Bearcats sitting at consistently around number eight, number nine, they're eight. No on the season undefeated uh, came in. They started the year right around, you know, the top 25. So they're the top team of those that are uh, outside of the power five conferences. And they have, you know, decent wins. Granted, they haven't been able to play, you know, non-conference opponents in in the same ways um, that they had previously, but they've beaten several top 25 teams in convincing fashion. They've done everything necessary, but yet they continue to be leapfrogged in the polls by, you know, the third, fourth best teams in the, exactly, in the SEC. And it's kind of looking like, the stars are aligning for even if they win the American championship game, which is played next weekend um, against a top 25 opponent in Tulsa, even if they win that game, it's likely that they would still be snubbed from, from the playoffs. At the same time, we have situations like Ohio state who has played four games, um, you know, sure they're undefeated, (laughs) but yet, you know, they still stay in that, kind of upper echelon they're continuing to leapfrog teams so that even in if chaos does ensue then the top uh leagues are still kind of insulated from a team like cincinnati being able to make it in so while everything else is very very strange some things remain the same and that's the big dogs wanting to to just hoard their money and keep the system set up to only support them well, I have to imagine this year more than ever, uh, they're probably so motivated to get getting the big name teams and getting eyes on that because it's the only way they're making money at this point. Nobody's going to the games. Nobody's 100%. I didn't realize the amount of money that the playoff gives to each of the Power Five conferences. They give, it's like an obscene amount um, that the playoff just in general pays out to each of the Power five conferences far greater than what goes to the like non group of five or whatever, or the group of five. So the non power five, but the other ones, as well as each team that makes it into the playoff, um, that conference thing gets an additional, I think it's 6 million. So, Mm. or or potentially even more than that. So it's a no brainer for those big conferences. So the ones that are controlling the playoff, and pulling all the money from it are going to want their teams to also be in it again, like you mentioned, as a revenue generating activity in a season without fans and with so much other craziness. Right. Yeah. But now for sports leagues though, with the amount of like interest that people put into them and, you know, it was a priority to get sports back playing to improve national morale and everything. Do professional athletes potentially get prioritized for vaccines? I think we know the answer to that. (laughs) I think, I think the better question would be, should they? Is that a, is that an ethical quandary? I guess. You know, it's interesting because I could see somebody out there making the moral argument is like, we need sports and we need, (laughs) we need our athletes out there. And that's going to help with uh, the mental health and consciousness of the country. So I could see that argument. Um, But 
you know, I think I think in the pecking order, maybe you have to do the uh, most vulnerable first, right? The old people uh, and people with uh, conditions, and then kind of trickle it down that way. We just know that for me and you, Lucas, we're we're at the back of the line. You know, <laughs> we are we are cis uh, white males. York- we're we're the last. <laughs> Uh, the New York Times had a, a like a little info thing earlier this week, and you could input like your location, your age, and like a few other little bits of information. It's mostly location and age, and then it would it have like a a little visual graphic of a line, and then would show you where you are in that line. Well, in this visual graphic, it was kind of like a squiggly. Uh, line basically i was third from the bottom I, I'm, I'm 90 97 of people uh, are ahead of me in line according to that graphic now i compound on that that i'm not i'm in i'm outside of the u.s yeah so it's not even like a, I would presumably be getting vaccinated in Spain unless I travel back to the U S for like a three week period or something uh, to be able to get both over the summertime. But in Spain, Spain's already going to be behind like the U S the UK, Germany and Northern European countries in getting access to the vaccine. I'm sure they're not on the short list of those that are pre buying hundreds of millions of doses. And then I'm just a resident. I'm not even a national. So no way I'm getting prioritized. And then given the factors like you're saying, you know, it's it's going to be a while. I expect to get vaccinated in like 2023. We might reach herd immunity before it gets... This is where, you know, this is where the money thing can come into play. Could be, and maybe your dollar can take you farther in Spain, you know? In the U.S., <laughs> no, you're, you're shit out of luck. You're, you're middle class. Yeah. But in Spain, I, I don't know, you know? You maybe. take those dollars, you convert it to euros, maybe uh, you get bumped towards the <laughs> front of the line. I can, yeah, my dollar that's worth less than one euro. I mean, but the, yeah, maybe, you know, private hospital or something. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. Something like that. And, and be able to, to, to get it outside of the normal, you know, public health queue. Uh, but no, I, the EU in general, it's, it's been a little bit confusing because, uh, you know, they're, coordinating some efforts, but then there's a lot of uh, autonomy left to the individual countries as well. But, you know, even with uh, which countries are getting the vaccines and then even traveling within the whole kind of EU Schleffen, Schleffen zone, I hope I pronounced it. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but, I know it's inaccurate, but I know my way of saying it is inaccurate. Yeah, as well. so, so you can all comment and make fun of me for how I pronounce that. Uh, but even traveling from country to country, it's, it's like different. So I know when we're going to the UK uh, later this week, uh, we're going, we have to go through Amsterdam because there's no direct flights uh, anywhere near where we're trying to go or flights are getting canceled. Uh, so we're going through Amsterdam and then flying there locally. But even then there's, there's unclear rules on what you do when you get to Amsterdam because they want you to take a uh covid tests before you get to the netherlands but technically we're just using it as a you know a layover and then going to another area so i don't know it's there's a lot of it's a bit confusing out there on on you know when vaccines are coming what's what's allowed with travel and and how are you going to do that i'm not i'm not sure if i'm looking forward to it to be honest but you know it'll be good to take some time off Well, that's where you mentioned right now, the uh, requirements are unclear as to getting tested and and like, what do you need to do before getting into a country? Once these vaccines become more, you know, kind of pronounced and more widely distributed, do you then have requirements for vaccination prior to traveling anywhere or going to particular countries or going to certain events? Like, are we going to have a, I've been vaccinated wristband, almost like when you go to a festival and you, you need to be able to scan. Yeah, like, like, like the bands, right? Like bring those Yeah. 
I thought the I'm I clean. thought the Bill Gates chip was gonna do that for us, though. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. True. Well, that's what the vaccine's for, right? But, <laughs> no. No. Kidding aside, the question though, we're obviously at the back of the line, but would you, will you be excitedly jumping into that line for for this vaccine? For me, yeah. Uh, I mean, if it's available and I can get it, I'm gonna get it. Uh, just peace of mind, I think, and everything like that. I, I know there are some people, you know, worried about getting, not, not even just the crazies, right? The, just normal people. They're like, oh, I don't want to try it first if I get sick and stuff like that. But I think once it hits to a level where it's more widely available and then we can actually get it, because we know we're not going to be the first ones to get it, for sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. And I say this as somebody that, like, maybe got the flu vaccine once you know i would never <laughs> i like never you know proactively got like a seasonal vaccine just the you know mandatory requirements and what i had to do to travel and get those yeah. but i think for this one yeah i'm i'm all in you know after this this year uh, i i don't want to mess around anymore at this point yeah I don't know. It's interesting. Like you mentioned, obviously, there's the, the crazies, the uh, the general anti-vax crowd out there that either believe Bill Gates is trying to implant, implant them with microchips via these vaccines or, you know, just kind of anti-vaccines in general or the method via which these new ones were developed is actually going to manipulate our DNA and, you know, bring on a, this crazy authoritarian rule. I don't know what the uh, conspiracy theory du jour is today, but I do think that there are some, like, you're <laughs> shoot me up. I'm in. I, I do think that there might be some valid, I guess, hesitancy. The thing though, in my mind is, okay, we don't know long-term impacts of a vaccine, like in this particular nature, but you also don't know long-term impacts of COVID. You know, so at the end of the day, you're you're going to get one of them, you know, <laughs> uh, so it's, exactly. it's more a matter of what do we do in the short term in order to be able to bring back some sense of, of normalcy to life and get people back out moving again, economies moving again, people able to, to support themselves again. An answer to that one is vaccine. So, yes, put me in line. I'm, I'm right there with you. So. I think moving into other news, uh, the election is over. <laughs> is it? Is it? I, I feel like we've talked about this every episode now, but it seems like it's finally over. The Supreme Court has uh, shot down the last, I believe, of the lawsuits to try to overturn the election result. So that's a wrap. I think we're we're now... Uh, we can put this this uh, topic behind us and and start to focus on a Biden Harris presidency. Moving forward with Times People of the Year, mind you. Yeah, that one was a bit like uh, you know. I guess you need to sell papers. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was that uh, was that was, a, that was a definitely going to be a polarizing one. Half the people hated yeah. it, and half will. Yeah, like, uh, but you know, maybe Times is is betting that you know enough people hating it will buy it to burn it. So yeah, <laughs> still money in their pocket. <laughs> it's true. It is true. But no, I, I do believe what the Electoral College officially locks in their votes on Tuesday or so. Yeah, um, or Monday or Tuesday. I think they meet, um, which would be Monday would be tomorrow. So do they in fact meet? Is is there like a uh, how does that work? I mean, I understand how the Electoral College in concept works, but do they actually get together almost like a convention and hand do their votes? Is this virtual? Should we be worried about the integrity of these mail-in votes from the Electoral College? This is an interesting question, uh, a series of questions, because I, I have no idea. I didn't even know that they did meet like this at a later date. I don't know. I, just, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're on a Zoom call, which would be interesting. <laughs> Rhode Island, Rhode Island, are you there? Your mic is muted. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's insane. I mean, I do believe that each of the states certify their results, but then technically individual electors within the electoral college can maybe stray from what they're, but I don't know. It's like, that's what I want to get through that before we say we're for sure, for sure locked in. Well, it's like a party convention, right? Like uh, technically at the party conventions, people can flip their votes or, uh, you know, decide to vote for another candidate than who won the primaries. Right. So yeah. I guess uh, technically it could happen, but uh, man, I really hope it doesn't because that would re- shit would really hit the fan uh, if that happened. I think you'd see a lot of unrest, uh, you know, a lot of violence. So yeah. let's hope it doesn't. What do you? Th- yeah, obviously there's been a lot of uh, violence. Maybe not this. Well, yeah, violence. Like uh, I saw. I would say yes. Yesterday. I would say there is violence compared to. Nonviolence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess is that one of the what do you see as some of these like lasting leg legacies of the, uh, the Trump years? Is part of this like division? Do you think that persists? I think. I think immediately people will within a few years people on the right are going to collectively forget that they put this man in power and. Uh, he, he did what he did. I, I think we're going to get a lot of, uh, you know, selective memories uh, on the last four years. I think the last thing legacy of Trump is, uh, in my opinion, I don't think he's going to be looked at as a good president. Um, if you can say the good things about Trump, like, guess the economy did okay, right? Until the whole pandemic. Um, if, you're, if you own stocks, you're loving this right now which means you're not a typical majority of Americans who are just hanging by right now. So yeah, I wouldn't brag about it too much there <laughs> if your stocks are doing good. Um, but I guess from a, from a perspective too, like, uh, you know, a lot of people were like poo-pooing it. Um, but all this, these things going on in the Middle East, specifically with Israel signing these, uh, I guess, diplomatic agreements with uh, some, you know, majority Muslim countries. I guess you could put that in the wind column for Trump and Jared Kushner, you know, somehow, some way. Even if these deals are just to kind of open up for selling of weapons, which I think is, is like the majority of them, at least they're talking, you know, I'll take it. In 2020, I'll take that as a, as a positive and a win. Yeah, foreign policy is an interesting one. I think on one hand, you have a significant erosion of trust as well as the perception of the United States uh, from these previous four years, especially in other like developed, fully developed countries, Western countries, I guess would be a better way of putting it. But at the same time, you have some wins, like you're saying, a little bit more, well, can we really say more peace in the Middle East? I mean, we had Israel uh, attacking people within Iran in the last couple of weeks. We have yeah, more I guess we forgot about that. In, <laughs> in Syria, I mean, you know, you have you have some wins here and you have some wins there. Collectively, are the wins more so just what is uh, reported, maybe than what is materially? Yeah, I guess. Happening? I guess that's that's there's a lot of that too, right? Um, and I, we'll have to see, you know, in post you now post Trump and with Biden coming in, whether or not you know we get the full picture. I mean, w- when the presidency started, or, or for the first year or two, right? There was a uh, all these reports that you know they were devastating the State Department and our ability to kind of conduct diplomacy all over the world. Uh, I'm sure we've we've hurt a lot of allies. Uh, we hurt our reputation with a lot of allies, and uh, it will probably take time to rebuild that. But I think the jury's still out on how much damage was actually done from from a foreign policy perspective. Yeah, I guess it's interesting even to frame it that way. When we think about damage, we think about damage because that's what the common narrative, I guess, is, but it's a more, 
damage, true long-term damage and like how you'd actually be thinking about an erosion of goodness, I guess, or is it damaged simply because it's a shift from the norm of what the expectation was? Because for, you know, 20 years, 25 years, <clears throat> starting with uh, Bill Clinton's presidency in the early 90s, you had this really shift towards uh, globalization and, you know, this requirement of the economy and of growth for businesses. And once you run out of population growth within the United States, which started happening around that time, that's when you have to start expanding into these other markets. And what is going on globally, um, I guess, matters more a little bit. And so we had to kind of capitulate and game, kind of game the system in, in many ways globally. Whereas Trump's kind of reversion, American first, it's just a different way of looking at things. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, for me, I'm still putting it fully in the damage column. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I mean, that's my perception, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, you know, we both know we, we barely know what we're talking about, but yeah, yeah my, my perception <laughs> is that, you know, I'm putting this one full in the, in the damaged one. Uh, but you know, we'll see, like you said, uh, it's a lot on what we perceive and, you know, will these kind of America first policies, you know, help us in the long run. Um, I think we just have to be optimistic that yes, they did, no matter what you thought about the guy. Right. Yeah. I, it, it, even for the America first, I guess, policy, when we think about from an economic growth standpoint, it's a requirement. You have to either charge more or sell more in order to be able to grow as, as a business. And for a publicly traded business, so for large businesses within the United States, you have to constantly be growing or else your you know, stock price is going to plunge and then you know, your, your business is no longer valuable. We see, we have seen uh, over especially with COVID, this complete kind of uh, separation uh, from the stock market and how we view businesses as doing versus the true economic reality of for the majority of people within the United States. So <clears throat> that's, I guess, kind of one of those interesting pieces when we think about growth and we think about America first is potentially this America first policy counterintuitive to America first, like social policy, I guess, counter, does it run counter to a, a, what is traditionally viewed as what would be best for America from an economic policy standpoint? Yeah. I, I mean, look, nothing, not, even if it was America first, nothing still changed in the way that, you know, corporations are able to move profits around, uh, you know, incorporate in Ireland, move money there and, you know, not have to pay taxes and all of these things. Like, um, in my opinion, you know, an America first policy would be to have those type of situations, you know, pay their fair share of taxes mm -hmm. to, to run in America and really just kind of call these corporations bluff and say, if you don't want to be here, then okay, go. <laughs> Lose, lose access to the, you know, still the biggest consumer market that is out there in the world, uh, which could change in the next 50 years, but it's still yeah, that's, that's one of the concerns, I guess, like, you know, traditionally you would think so 30 years ago, you could take that approach, right. And say, well, go, where else are you going to go? You have, there was nowhere else to go, but now that markets are maturing in other places, namely China, places have alternatives. And so it's just like how states compete with one another in a race to the bottom for incentives and tax breaks for corporations and like locating their headquarters there. Now, uh, due to a lot of these different actions, it's become almost like a, a global situation in that sense. And so can you, uh, due to the way in which we've built up the system, in fact, take a more nationalist look uh at your your policy yeah 
It's a tough one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think we need to study more on the topic as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're out of out of depth. We're out of depth, but this is why this is why the people come to the podcast uh, because they want to know the opinion of American expats on <laughs> geopolitics. <laughs> And the economic well-being of the world. Exactly. Um, what else? What else happened in the news this week? Uh, looking through the list, kind of on this, a similar note. There, there was the uh, Facebook antitrust uh, kind of lawsuit where they're pushing for them to for Facebook essentially to be broken up uh, amongst the Facebook side of things with Instagram and with uh, WhatsApp. And this on the heels of what was the last month, there was something similar being brought against Google, which to be able to break up their or alphabet, I guess, to break up the different areas within, um, within that or different business units there, mostly citing anti-competitive you know, practices. And it seems to be more of a theme and maybe we get more of it with a Biden um, administration but some pushback against these large organizations within the United States. Yeah, I saw it because I was going to ask as, as well when I saw that with Facebook, like, uh, and so they're targeting Alphabet as well, or, or you know, the Google kind of overarching company. Google. <laughs> yeah, Google, the focus with Google is specifically, I believe, on search and some of the practices there. Um, I don't think... I'm not a antitrust attorney or anything, but in the little that I have read, um, I don't think that the case is very strong in that case, in that sense, mm -hmm. for the Google one. For the Facebook one, it seems a little bit more, but it, it, it raises this idea, and if people are paying attention to it, and if it actually gets some media attention, that these large organizations just buy up their competitors because they're in a position to do so. And not because they're a competitor today, but because of the potential for them to be able to be competing for market share for profits in, you know, a few years, potentially, um, which is the whole model, right, of like startup and technology culture, like you create something that's a good idea to supplement one of these big players with the thought for many people of I want to grow super fast. And then within a year, two years, I want to be bought and I just want to cash out. And then start my next project, Eden, if you will. Exactly. And then do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you'd get a lot of uh, you know, venture capitalist entrepreneurs that would probably be pissed at <laughs> losing the option to, to have access to that, that capital and cash out uh, scheme. But one thing I was going to ask, because it's an antitrust suit and it's saying to break up Facebook, at least from WhatsApp and Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. My question to you is, can you, can you fairly consider these as competitors? And here's my, here's my thought process for this. So it's true, it's true, yes, that say a Facebook and Instagram can be seen as social media, right? And creating communities for your eyes. WhatsApp for me, I would say is more of like a communications tool. Right, it's mostly used for that. Uh, I would say then, you know, there is some things I read in the article that said, okay, and you know, they've talked about buying Twitter in the past. Twitter for me, like comparing Facebook and Twitter is like apples and oranges for me. Really, at the end of the day, I feel like where are they competing? They're competing for, for, um, they're competing for attention, right? The attention time and <clears throat> in, in, in screen time is to say, look at what my platform is doing throughout your hours of the day instead of what this other platform content is. So for, for me, it's such a broad area to say, okay, Facebook competes with Twitter, who competes with you know, whatever else is out, Reddit, I guess, uh, some mm -hmm. of these other companies. But at the end of the day, like, what is the product they're competing against like what is the value i guess brought back to the consumer for me it's just it's just it's time and attention instead of saying are th yeah 
But aren't all of those, and, and I think, and that's one of the things that uh, from initial defenses, I guess, from, from Facebook is that, well, you're narrowly looking at the nature of our competition. You're looking only at, you know, competition for Facebook being other social media sorts of, of platforms. Whereas, you know, exactly what along your lines of we're in fact competing against all of these other types of products and, and some of these things we have no intention of ever, you know, trying to get into those different areas. So it's an interesting, I guess, point in terms of, when you look at like WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook, yes, they're all communication methods, but they're, they're all methods of communication, just doing it in different ways, right? So WhatsApp is more like a one-to-one -one type of, of discussion, but with group messages and things like that, you can you know just get added and you can create small communities similar to like a Facebook group um, or anything like that. Fair enough. Yeah. Same thing. It, it, you know, Instagram and Facebook, they're also just ways of broadcasting basically what you're doing. So it's communicating in a like wider, more general, broad sense. But at the end of the day, they are all just methods of, of communication. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, yes, they are all just competing for, for your attention with anything else in the world. Yeah, I guess it, it, for me, then it, it would, wouldn't it be a stronger argument to say, uh, attacking more of like an advertiser. If you own all the channels for getting people's attention, whether it's communication or messaging or social media or even, you know, pictures like Instagram, uh, then you're owning all the effective ways you can advertise where people are putting their attention. Maybe, I don't know. It's a, it's a hard, it's a hard one. Cause then you would, in that scenario, you'd make Facebook and Google like direct competitors because of advertising. You can even loop in which, Amazon and, you know. Yeah, which, which they kind of are. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, more or less, that's kind of where we're, we're going, right? You have uh, this convergence, I guess, of everything within some very large technology companies, uh, which is, is similar to how everything has always been, right? I mean, think about like 20 years ago, everyone was Walmart, Walmart in the US, like, oh, wow, they sell everything. Everyone goes there. This is the only brick and mortar like retail store. If you were wanting to sell, if you had a physical product, um, you know, you were trying to get it to be distributed through Walmart, you're giving them special pricing and all of these different things. Now it's that same type of uh, idea just accelerated and moved online with things like Amazon for retail, um, but things like social media for, for attention. You're, you're peddling goods. <laughs> um, it's just peddling them in a slightly different way. Yeah. Gets into that whole social dilemma documentary type conversation on what is this doing to the fabric of society <laughs> in a way? And I want to say, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. That's a path. That, no, that's a path not to, uh, I don't think we want to venture down. Yeah. Down I will. The only thing I will say about that documentary, because this is actually an area me and you can, can talk a little bit about with some authority. Uh, Cause we're kind of part of this, uh, we touch on this industry, but the whole thing they forgot about in that, in that documentary is brands. Brands are the ones that are paying the money to make all this stuff go forward. And nobody talked about that. They, they like, they like brushed on it for like the real live uh, reenactment of that scenario, but they didn't sign any blame to brands. And I'm telling you, there'd be nobody sell to if it weren't for brands putting tremendous yeah. amounts of money with barely even knowing what they're spending it on, uh, on that. Yeah. No, it's true. And also most of, well, all of the sources really is the people that they were getting that information from and who were being uh, interviewed within that are all from the technology and from the products side of things. And so we get this view that these things are crazy effective, 
<laughs> they are in, in theory. But when you start looking at some of the more recent studies that are being done for like what are returns on investments with this like more specific behavioral focused targeting of advertising and, you know, being able to target these profiles and doing this profiling. And that movie, it seemed like it was this like exact science of, okay, based upon this, 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 and these algorithms, then this is the perfect ad to show them at the perfect time. And it's significantly influencing your behavior. Is your behavior being influenced? Sure. But your behavior's always been influenced by advertising and by messaging and by all these other things that are you're like interacting with. This isn't that much more effective than what was being done previously. But you have this narrative, especially of people within the technology sector that, you know, like you and I work with every single day that, hey, this is the most effective way of of doing this and it's so much more effective than what you were doing before. And so invest in this and you're gonna charge more for it. But when you really look at some of the, again, the more recent studies that are being done, you know, it's, it's not nearly as effective as it's, it's made out to be. It's still a bit of a inexact science, right? It's not, it's not- A bit of, it's a lot of an inexact <laughs> science. Right. Especially for, for brands um, in trying to like marry different data sets together. Now, social media, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, when they're showing you information, like uh, showing you like topics or discussions or information that's similar to things that you might like or that's designed to uh, increase your engagement with the platform, yes. Those things are, you know, it's manipulative by its very nature because they're competing with everything else in this world, similar to what you're saying, for your attention. So those things are, you know, effective and using gamification and, and things like that, sure. But the effectiveness that is the justification for those brands pumping money into the system is not nearly as effective as, as it would or as people make it out to be. And without that, it's all a house of cards because if brands aren't pumping money into it, there's no money there for the valuation. So there's no you know, reason, there's no way for these organizations to make any money and they're not viable businesses. Right. Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of money thrown around and I think we all agree, like, uh, you know, something needs to be fixed on the way that these platforms can target and everything out of that. But uh, sometimes it's just as simple as, as, as saying like, Hey, is the money I'm spending working? Right. For it takes just enough companies to just say, Hey, am I getting return on my value? Am I getting bane for my buck? Do I get an ROI? Yeah. Spending this money on these platforms. Yeah. And if they just kind of all collectively say no, then, this problem goes away pretty quickly in my opinion. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. Right. Well, I shouldn't necessarily say that because the entire model of the social media companies, they weren't profitable for, and some of these are hardly are profitable, but the idea of it is let's get this attention and let's get the users. We'll lose money along the way, but we'll figure out some way of making money once we have this like attention base essentially and so if it's not advertisers maybe there's something else who knows but that yeah. would be uh, another dark day <laughs> <laughs> yeah as long as we all want to uh experience content for free it's probably not going away anytime soon then <laughs> this is true which is a, a great way of uh, plugging our Patreon. <laughs> no, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, type Eagles Abroad. <laughs> uh, we're still establishing ourselves. We're, we're a bit too early for Patreon. Maybe, uh, you know, if this goes to shit, we can always open up an OnlyFans account. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'd have to hit a very niche audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes indeed we'll hold off on that one for, for the time being so when when are you uh traveling then um for the holidays you're going back to the u.s yes seagull is flying back to the his home nest uh on tuesday How you so upcoming that? travel plans i'm 
<laughs> riding a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flying. I fly through, which I fly through Amsterdam also. Okay. Um, so Amsterdam to the lovely city of Detroit to Cincinnati. Wow. Um, so I was actually not aware of any concerns with like going through the airport in Amsterdam. I just figured that was, you know, it's like international airfare. There's, they're not going to yeah, touch well, down and, and walk through there as, as normal. I'm not taking any precautions. So uh, definitely should have given you a heads up about that. Also seeing you as a guinea pig for when I have to go to Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think like, yeah, it used me to take the, I think you'll be fine. I think it's just for more people that are like planning to go into the Netherlands. Um, if you're using it as a hub, I think you'll be okay. But still, two layovers just to get home. Yeah, nightmare. And it's, uh, I leave Barcelona at 6 a.m. local time. I will touch down in Cincinnati around 5.15 p.m. their local time, which would be uh, close to midnight Barcelona time. So it will be a full 18 hours of, of travel. Brutal. That is brutal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, COVID. So do you have to do um, anything when you get to the but US? Yeah, I mean, do you have to take a test? No, that's the beauty of going to the United States. <laughs> there is no, uh, no requirements as of now. I don't, there's not even any like firm quarantine requirements in Ohio uh, that I'm aware of that. And I've done a significant amount of research. So I am going to be just personally taking some precautions. Um, I'll take a test once I get there um, and then hold off on seeing family and, and friends that are you know, more vulnerable until getting uh, a negative result on that. So doing a little bit of a quarantine, taking some tests and then kind of going about safe business as usual still won't be, you know, flying out, going to any bars or anything like that. So it'll be more <clears throat> contained for the holidays, but nothing too crazy no no state mandated quarantines no checkups um what you're doing once you get back to the land of the free let freedom ring i'm free yeah (laughs) indeed indeed i was a little the only thing that took me back was so i'm going like just for an annual checkup doctor Mm -hmm. checkup when i'm back in the states and in trying to schedule that appointment, they did not want me to come in for an appointment until like after I had been in the States for 10 days <laughs> so, to make sure that I didn't develop any uh, symptoms or anything. So I was like, hmm, <laughs> the medical system is causing a little bit of pause, maybe. So that's interesting. They're, they're telling you to don't take the test until the 10 days. No, they're telling me, well, one, yeah, I got some, they were telling me to take a test, like wait a few days, five or six days before taking a test, because obviously, you know, you're uh, at risk, I guess, while flying, and it takes five or six days for stuff to, to kind of show up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in considering that, if I wait a week, say, to take a test, and then I take a test, and it takes three days to get results, then it's like, well, I'm only traveling for 15 days. Like what's, you know, what's the point of even going? So I'm, is it strictly by the book? Although what is the book right now? You know, they'll tell you, well, you know, quarantine forever. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Or less. So I'm, I'm taking as many precautions as are necessary for myself and those around me that I'm going to be visiting to feel comfortable. Yeah. I, I do. I do kind of love it though. Uh, the balls on the U S to be like, well, if you're visiting from outside the U S make sure you quarantine for 10 days, not, you know, not acknowledging that they're the epicenter of the entire yeah. pandemic at the moment. Uh, it's so know, true. It's, 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 it's typical American and never change. 
We love you. Yeah. We love you, America. It is. It, it's extremely true. I was talking to my mom last week and telling her kind of my testing uh, plan. And she was saying, well, you know, I, you're going to want to take a test and then you'll have to wait for a few days. And then we'll maybe want you to take a test again. And I'm like, mom, my concern is not really getting COVID and bringing it to the U.S. My concern is once I get to the U.S., <laughs> getting COVID. Bringing it back to Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. in order to return to Spain, I do have to have a negative test uh, within 72 hours of my departure. So, so Spain is taking many more precautions. And then once mm -hmm. I get back here, I am going to be kind of self-quarantining for, for a number of days, but. Yeah, no, it's so, I mean, I'm, so I'm heading to the UK uh, on Thursday and what they want is essentially to quarantine for five days. Uh, okay. And then after five days to take a test and get the results back from that test until you get kind of the all clear and you can, okay. you know, go about, go about your day. Yeah. But I'll, I'll have to take a test when in the UK for yeah, being able to kind of move around. I'm going to be there a, a few weeks. So uh, I think a little bit longer than you've been in the U S um, but then I have to take a test again before going back into Spain as well. Um, so yeah, it's a bit more strict, uh, I would say, in Europe than is the U.S., but... So a similar yeah. plan, I guess. Similar plan. You're yeah. you're going to be hanging out for a couple of days, take a test, and then take a test before coming back. Yeah. Yours is I mean, state-mandated. Mine's just, yeah, mine's mine. just required by the government. <laughs> so you don't like the government telling you what to do, <laughs> don't move to Europe. <laughs> or the UK, because I guess the UK is not in Europe anymore. Uh, they've they've been Brexited. Um, which which yeah, is, how is that going? By the way, well, What's... you know, I'm I'm not like worried worried, uh, but it is like a little bit disconcerting that you know some of the some of the headlines lately have been, you know, Brit like Britainers are stockpiling food because they're they're worried that you know, with no deal in place, like they're not going to get any imports coming into the UK. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's less, uh, from what I've read, it's less that they're worried that people like the food won't be able to come in. Uh, mm -hmm. cause, cause the UK said, they're just going to let everybody, even if the paperwork's not filed, it's like, yeah, you can still come in and deliver, but it's, but it's all the people delivering in getting back to Europe is like, it's going uh, to be a nightmare. So some companies are like, I don't even want to ship to there because I'm not going to be able to get out, right? I won't so be able to- you're saying like, a, able to like a, a truck back. driver. Yeah, like a so truck, like a truck driver. driver wouldn't be, they would be able to come into the UK because UK is like, okay, fine. We'll, we'll let this happen for now because we need to, we tend to do our jobs right the last four years and putting together a deal so we'll still let people in because we need this stuff but then once they turn around and go back into europe it'll They're like be yeah we're not letting you you know it's not that they won't let them back in but it's just going to be delay after delay after delay where it's like you know these guys survive by you know the thin margins that they do it's like it's not even yeah. worth the trip you know if i'm going to be delayed <laughs> for so long which that's is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's going on now. And then I read something right before the podcast that um, the UK Navy will start to blockade EU fishing ships from like approaching oh, no. their territorial fishing grounds <laughs> if there's no deal in place. So it's just, you know, again, the as 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 much as everyone can make fun of the US for Trump for the past four years what the UK have done with Brexit is just mag is magnificent to behold that it's, it's such a self-inflicting wound with no, any way you look at it, it's going to be more negative than positive of what's going to happen with that. Um, which I'm sure like everybody from the UK hearing this is going to tell me to fuck off right now, but you know, that's the outside perspective, right? You know, you guys can criticize Trump and the U.S. all you want, but 
Yeah. Dr. Fauci, don't throw stones in, uh, in glass houses. Okay. I mean, when it comes to the pandemic, fair. Yeah. fair. No, I'm uh, kidding. Yeah. No, it, it's true. It's, it's interesting, though, with the pandemic, like, we've kind of forgotten about Brexit. That was a huge, huge topic. Yeah. And, like, the no deal and it continuing to get pushed back. Because I know a couple of the deadlines were towards the end of last year. And then they kind of had midnight sessions and deals where the deadlines were pushed back until the end of of this year and now it's looking like hardly anything was was being resolved or are are there indications that there might be some sort of a resolution here in the next couple of weeks well i i think like so they're totally out like they're out of the eu now that's already happened um and some other stuff in terms of like immigration uh, and like helping British expats because like you take Spain for instance, there's millions of British expats here. Mm. So they've already done the stuff of like, you know, getting your IDs at like a Spain local level and those type of agreements I think are in place where they're really kind of struggling and not looking good right now is all the trade deals because they had to renegotiate mm. trade deals with everyone because they were outside the economic uh you know, zone. So they're trying to, they've been trying to deal with the EU and it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, the analogy of like holding a gun to, to your head and being like, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to kill myself type thing. Uh, yeah. it was like, okay. You know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, now they're trying to negotiate that, but the EU has them by the balls because the UK absolutely needs access to the EU market way more than the EU needs access to the UK market. Uh, so they can pretty much hold them over a barrel and make them take whatever deal the EU does, and which is, I think, exactly what's happening now is that they've just they've just negotiated the point where they need to just take whatever the EU gives them. Yeah. Which uh, I'm sure is not uh, politically palatable within the, <laughs> the UK. No, it's. I mean, you know, the. I don't think anybody's going to be happy there, no matter what way you voted for, because uh, it's just been a total shit show the whole time. All right. Cool. You well, got any uh, random musings before we go? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, well, one thing that kind of stood out to me this this week. Um, so I wanted Jif peanut butter. Interesting. And so I, I make these like breakfast bowls that is, it's oatmeal. I make oatmeal and I put in some, uh, <laughs> some blueberries and bananas. And with that, I will take whenever I have Jif peanut butter, like a dollop of the Jif peanut butter, kind of put it on the edge and then stick the, spoon in and it kind of melts a little bit and it's wonderful but in europe there's not as much peanut butter like the only peanut butter that i come across is like when i go to a a healthier food store and it's like you know all natural peanut butter it just doesn't have the same like sugar content same sweetness It's, it's not nearly as good so i looked around there's an american shop here in barcelona a shout out taste of america i went there to, and I, they have some Jif peanut butter, but it's extortion. It's like a small thing of peanut butter that was almost 10 euros. Oh my God. <laughs> it's insane. Well, so it's, like, it's a hot commodity. It, it, it's, it's a extremely hot commodity, but it raises the point, and I happily paid the 10, the eight, it was eight <laughs> euros and change. I happily paid it in order to like get this. If I was in the us though and you know for my entire life we look at peanut butter jelly sandwiches was something where like you know okay this is a cheap thing that i could eat and get some sustenance peanut butter is like a luxury good but it's crazy how you know yeah much your yeah for me paying eight euros for a small thing of of gif like it's insane yeah because it's it's almost like uh you know you're a poor college kid or you know you're 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 down on your luck kind of you know poverty type food to you know sustain yourself right and then here yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they're just they're just praying it, on it, yeah yeah it, but it, it kind of highlights like the idea and this was my random using that was associated with it 
was like how much we come to kind of appreciate things uh, that when we can no longer take them, I guess, for granted. Like it took Jeff peanut butter. It's just this cheap thing that I can always throw in like, you know, my oatmeal or sandwich, but now it's a yeah. nice commodity, something I really appreciate. Yeah, I would feel the Spanish equivalent of that is probably something like hamon or, uh, yeah, you know, even the olives or something like that. The wine, right? Like wine is so cheap here. Like you get a very good <laughs> Rioja for like three euros, which back home would probably be 40 USD, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. it would, it would be a lot of money. Um, just the whole peanut butter thing though, made me think, I remember I tried to explain what fluffernutter was to somebody <laughs> here unsuccessfully. It's like, no, it's like, mar- it's like marshmallow and then you spread it and then you eat it with peanut. Like the concept was so foreign and like borderline disgusting for them, but they ain't nothing like a good peanut butter and fluff. Uh, I don't really do the peanut butter and fluff, but I will, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is one of like the few things, like finer things of life. Oh, for sure. I, I think p- peanut butter, p- PB and J is definitely on the top tier. I'd say for, for the little people, it's, a little bit, a little bit more off that peanut butter and fluff is hitting that, that next column. You got your peanut butter and then banana, uh, banana slices in there as well. Peanut butter banana is a good flavor. Oh, I want to. It is, and that's why it's banana. That's why this oatmeal bowl is so wonderful. Oh man! So anything, uh, kind of last note here. Anything that while in the UK, food-wise, you're excited to uh, to get after? You know, I am still getting accustomed to British food. I really am. Uh, Something. <laughs> what they about do. it? Are you getting accustomed to? Uh, where's Christine? She's not here. Okay. Um, look, I love, I, I do love a lot of aspects of, uh, the, the culinary things in in the UK, like particularly, you know, you have your curries that are really nice, your, your fish and chips, uh, you know, Mm. the classics, but there is a lot of, a lot of bland going on in the UK right (laughs) so I was so excited for the concept of a uh what do they call them um kind of like a it's like a meat pie not a meat pie what are they oh yeah pies yeah like those those pies but uh, you know I was expecting like you know a very savory warm you know melt in your mouth type experience and what I got was like a cold pork pie, pork pie. What I got was a cold uh, okay, okay. pastry with a congealed like <laughs> lump of, of meat in the middle. And I, I did not understand. I was like, why don't you guys just heat this up? This would be, yeah. <laughs> but it's like that. Yes. So there's like certain things like that, which like, I'm sorry, it's, it's still... There, there are much better ways to do this. You know, you could yeah. turn this into, a, a, you know, effing empanada or, yeah. or something like this. Even It would be so much better. Um, True. There are better takes. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I do like right now, there's a thing going on in the UK where they've like tiered which areas are in terms of COVID restrictions and the tier we're in because we're going to be in Yorkshire is uh, tier two and tier two allows you to go to a pub uh, and have a drink there as long as you have a meal. And right now there's okay. a debate on whether a scotch egg is a meal. And a scotch egg is, is a, is a hard boiled egg wrapped in sausage meat and then kind of breaded and deep fried. So it's, you know, there's a lot of calories in that thing, but it's like uh, that sounds that. wonderful, and I've never come across it actually. In, in yeah, my I've, time, I've and... actually, I've actually never had one, but I'm telling you right now, I will have one, and I will report back on the next podcast yeah. <laughs> on how it is because right now they're saying, you know, and it's like an appetizer thing, like usually for like one or two people, um, but they're saying that 
that constitutes a substantial meal or whatever they're they're calling it. So you can go to a pub, you can order a scotch egg, you can have a few pints, you can get out. So I am excited about that because there's nothing better than having a pint at a British pub. Maybe an Irish pub. This is true. Maybe an Irish pub is better. True. But British pubs. They're, pretty. they're both wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Classic ale. The hand, the hand pulled wooden yeah. pumps. Yeah. You don't even know. Yeah. You don't even know. Get that CO2 you know. out of here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We do this by hand. Okay. Well, yeah, no, for me, for me, uh, the U S I'm going to get my fill of uh, processed, processed food, hit up Chick-fil-A, all the fast food places, maybe come back with, uh, you know, with like a heart congestion or something. It's, I like it. I like it. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, yeah, interesting. I do miss big, I do miss the change. fast food. Yeah, I do miss yeah. I do miss some of the fast because they have they have some of the equivalents here in Barcelona, the McDonald's and Taco Bells and stuff. But you know, once you start getting the Not more the niche chick yeah Chick Fil A's your Chipotle's your uh, you know your staples uh, that's that's where it's at. I miss those. I fl- on the way back I fly through Atlanta, um, which. As of the last time I flew through Atlanta, about a year, year ago, uh, there's a Bojangles. So that is going to cap my trip and I'm extremely excited. That's right. You better get that Bojangles, not Popeyes, as we said earlier, but Bojangles. Oh, I will. I will also be having Popeyes, but I can, I can get that in Cincinnati. No. But yes, a Bojangles spicy chicken biscuit on the way out. Ugh, it's going to be... It'll be nice. All right. Well, I think we're coming to a close here. Safe travels. And uh, yeah. You as well. Eagles abroad. About to be flying out. All right. Talk to you soon, buddy. Take care.